Good morning. My name is Bill Moeller. I'm the small groups director here at Cornerstone. And if this is your first time here, we are happy to have you. And I just want to let you know that if you are interested in that group, um, we actually discontinued that group just recently. So, <clears throat> but, uh, but today we are uh, we're starting a new series this weekend called Life Together. And we want to just kind of unwrap um, over, the next four, over the next four weeks about community and, and uh, getting together and, and sharing life with one another. And, and a few months ago when we began to talk about this series, I realized that it was being, we were following the storm series. And I was like, well, how is this all going to fit together, you know, going from the storms to community? And, you know, a couple weeks ago I was sitting in the service uh, listening to Patrick who, who um, did a fantastic job. I think we can all agree with that, right? So, uh, and then uh, he talked about that God is the initiator and that we're here to really fulfill the calling that God has placed in our lives and, and that all we have to do is really just dig into him. And so, and then last weekend, you know, Pastor Sean talked about just stepping out of the boat. And, you know, I want you to get, kind of think about that today as we really focus on community and, and kind of building that bridge. And, and for some of us, we really need to step out of the boat when it comes to community. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, we usually talk about, you know, three or four things that seem to be really important, you know, when we think of our walk with Christ. And we always think that we, we put a challenge out to really be in the Word each day, you know, pray each day, you know, and take time to serve. Um, and, and to give. And we talk about those things. And, and I believe one of the aspects that we sometimes kind of put to the back burner in our Christian walk is when it comes to uh, community and spending life together. And, you know, you know, now as you can tell, the title tells it all, you know, when it comes to the game of life. And have any of you ever played the game of life, the board game? I guess there's an app for it now. But, but the game of life, you know, really actually does a lot of things. You know, you get to start off with, you know, uh, your job, you're going to college, and then you have some jobs, you get your career. You know, you go from there, you, you get to have, get married, have children. And then from there, you get to retire. And, you know, retirement is one of those things, I think, when you can't retire, you want to, and then when you do retire, you want to go back to work. But, but, uh, but one of the things that, that I realized one day was that Milton Bradley understood something. He understood that when you played the game of life, that you couldn't play the game of life on your own. You had to play it with at least one other person, because life was never meant to be done on your own. And God said the same thing. He said it in Genesis 2.18, which is on your handout this morning, or which is up on the board, but I don't even think it's on your handout now that I think about it, but it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone, that I am going to make a helper suitable for him. So I always say this, if you want to know what God's desire was for us in a certain area of our life, then we need to go back to the beginning of where it began. And so when we look at this area of relationships, we can see that that God had an intention for us way back in Genesis chapter 2. Now, the context of Genesis chapter 2 is really talking about Adam and, and needing a suitable helpmate, or in our culture, we would consider that a wife. And, but the context here is that, that God recognized that we could not do life on our own, 
that we actually needed people in our life to, to be able to uh, work together and that, that this life was, like I sometimes say, this life was never meant to be done on your own, that, that you need to get connected. And so we were never intended to live life on our own. And so this morning, we're going to dig into the Word and talk about the first century church. And it was a different time, a different culture than we have today because, because of, of that, we can sometimes read our own culture into text. Sometimes we read the Bible and we read this Western mindset that we have into the text and then we kind of, it, it sometimes can be way off base. And so understanding context and understanding what the Bible and where it's been placed into history is very important for us. And so, you know, because in the first century we never had, they never had nine to five jobs. You know, they, they never had to, to commute to work. You know, you never, they never got stuck in traffic. You know, the, the triangle was, was not a recognizable feature that people got stuck in cars. You know what I'm saying? It was actually just a geometric shape. And so we have, we have the things of commuting. And so we would spend time, we spend time all the time together, you know, by ourselves, 30, 40 minutes driving to and from work. You know, they never had to deal with that. They never had to deal with the fact that you drive your car down the street, and by the time you get to your, your driveway, you hit a button, the garage door opens, you drive your car into, the, into your garage, you put the garage door down, and then you go and you have life. And you, you don't have to spend any time with the people around you. You know, that is a culture that, they did, not, that did not exist in the first century. You know, for them, you know, their jobs was either farming, and if they didn't do farming, they were doing carpentry, they were doing blacksmith, they were doing, making pottery, and they did that most of the time out of their homes. And so they, they had this sense of community because they, they, they didn't live in what we would consider in our, we, could, we don't consider our homes today as being mansions, but in the first century, any home that anyone lives in today would be considered a mansion. Because most of the time in that century that they only had like one-room homes. And if they were very wealthy, they had what, what you call an upper room and maybe even a roof on their home. And the thing was is that they didn't spend all their time in their homes. They were actually had to walk to the market. And so there was no like, man, I wish this person would walk a little faster so I could get around them, you know? And so they would just, they would probably just walk around, give them a look, and then just keep walking, you know? But, uh, but what they would do is they would have conversations. They would, they would converse while they were in the marketplace. They would, they would spend time with one another as they were walking down the street. It wasn't just that they were ignoring one another. And so community was a lot different. It was, it was just prevalent. I think you would have been an odd person out if you didn't spend time with other people in the first century. Because everything revolved around people. And so when we look at that, I want you to keep that in mind as we read today. And take a look at that because it's important. Now we're going to be reading out of Acts chapter 2 this morning, verses 42 through 47. And I want to just kind of give you a little background on the book of Acts. Because most of us probably know this, but for some of you that don't, I'm going to do it anyways. And what happened is that in the book of Acts, we know that... Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, was writing a historical account of the Gospel of Luke of all the things that Jesus had done. You know, and then, so what happened is that we see that he did the same thing in the book of Acts. He wrote, he was writing historical accounts of what had happened in the first century church. And so we see that it starts off with Jesus ascending into heaven, and then the day of Pentecost comes. 
The Holy Spirit comes down, and on that, right in verse 41, we see that, that over 3,000 people came to Christ. Isn't that a good day for the church? You know, And so what happens here is that now we're, we're sticking into verse 42 through 47. And when I look at this text that we're looking at this morning, I believe that this is really an outline for the rest of Acts. So when you read this and you, if you took almost every verse and made it into its own outline, ABC, I know you don't want to write a paper today, but if you, you, you outlined it and you began reading the rest of the book of Acts, you could probably point to one of these points one of these verses of what it relates to. And so Luke is actually putting this all together for us, kind of in a last effort before he finishes the rest of Acts. So let's read this this morning, and we're going to just kind of dig into this and see what God has to say to us today. So Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, it's on your handout and up on the screen. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer, Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, I want to start off this morning by looking at just the first part of verse 42, and it says they devoted. They devoted, because that word doesn't seem as, as important to us when we just think of the word devoted. And I want to tell you in the Greek that meaning, I'm not going to try to pronunciate the Greek word here this morning, but I want to give you its definition because it'll set the stage for the rest of this message this morning. The Greek meaning of this word is to persist. So we're, as a person who's devoted themselves, it's to persist or to continue to do something with intense effort with the possible implication of despite difficulty. It also means to keep on keeping on. So no matter what the circumstances that come their way, no matter if they're persecuted, if they're ridiculed, if God didn't answer their prayers, if they, they didn't receive what they thought they were going to receive, they were going to be persistent. They were going to keep with an intense effort. They were going to devote themselves to reading God's word. They were going to devote themselves to praying. They were going to devote themselves to fellowshipping with one another. And so when we think of that, I want you to keep that in mind as we go through the remaining part of this morning. Because it's, it's very important that, that we get this into our mind this morning. Because that's why it's so difficult when we try to do things on our own, because God never intended us to live that way. We say it all the time, this journey was never meant to be done on your own. The people understood the importance of relationships— and why we can see the devotion they had to each other and the desire to devote themselves to one another. You know, Solomon said it this way in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. See, when we live outside of what God intended, we have no one to help us up when we fall down. And so let's look at some of the benefits this morning of community. The first one's on your handout. You, 
you get the opportunity to spend time in the word with others. They devoted themselves, again, with intense effort, with intense effort. Everything they had, despite the circumstances, they were going to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know, sometimes I think of it this way. You know what's better than hearing the word spoken on a weekend? It's really hearing the word spoken in a small group. And let me tell you why. You know, my, my feeling is, and I guess I have to have this feeling because I'm responsible, but the feeling is, is that when I come in on a weekend, when I come into a service, when I hear someone on TV or watch somebody on the internet or something of that nature, I expect that the person who is preaching has prepared, you know, that, that I've spent some time preparing for this morning. I didn't just wake up this morning and decide to get up here and talk, okay? I just want to let you know that. Um, <laughs> But when you come to a small group, when you go into a small group and you begin to share the word with one another, you know, I'm, I'm inspired, you know, by what people have to say. When you read the word of God and then people kind of give their sense of what God is speaking to them, it's like the Holy Spirit is using them. And so when, they're, when they devoted themselves, you know, with intense effort to the apostles' teaching, really to the word of God— when they devoted themselves, they were together and they had everything in common. And what was happening is that now you get the opportunity when you're in a small group or you're in a gathering of some sort with, with a, a group of small people, I guess, a small group, that what happens is that you're accountable for what's being said. Right now, you're not really accountable. You could tune me out at any moment right now if you wanted to. But, but in a small group, you're, you're sitting there and you're like, wow. You know, yay God for, for what that person has just said. And, and you would think sometimes it would just go weird or something. And I, I can't say that, ever, that it hasn't ever gotten weird. Some people have some interpretation. You're like, well, that's way off, you know. And you just kind of just say, don't come to back to my group. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but most of the time, 99% of the time, people are way on top of it. And it's just encouraging to me that you can, you can go into a group and just hear the word of God preached just through all of us. Because we're all here. We're all ministers of the gospel. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know, the, the second point is that you get to spend time with others. They devoted themselves. Intense effort. You know, they persisted in that. And they needed to do that. You know, here is a, here is a, a church, a group of people who who believed that Jesus had died. And there's a lot of people that didn't believe that. You know, they were still part of the Jewish culture. They were still going to temple worship. And here, it's really a, a division that happened in the, in, the, in the Jewish temple preaching. And so what you have is you have a group of people that they had to spend time with one another because that was the only way they could manage to get through that. They were being persecuted. They were being scattered abroad. And so... So we see that all the believers were together and had everything in common. You know, I want to touch on this point for just a few moments this morning because next week we'll expound on this a little bit. But this morning I just want to share one verse with you. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. It says this, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I don't know if you've ever sharpened a blade before, but there's a mutual benefit in rubbing of two iron blades together. The edges become sharper, making the knife the knives more efficient in their task to cut and slice. 
You know, the funny thing is, is that if you've lived in your house long enough and you haven't had to move anything out of your, out of your drawers, you probably have one of these knives in your kitchen right now. You know what I'm saying? You have a knife in your drawer right now that, that you, it's, if every other knife is dirty and it's in the dishwasher right now, you're going to pull that knife out and you're going to go, oh, should I wash one? No, I'm just going to pull this knife out and use it. You know, you're going to start taking that knife, you're going to begin to cut. And the thing is, is that because that knife is so blunt, because it hasn't been sharpened, it takes, it, it still continues to be a knife, but it takes a lot more effort and it's less effective in its purpose. And the same thing happens in our life. When we are not being sharpened by one another, when we have decided that it's not important for me to be part of community, that you become less effective. You become blunt. And what happens is that you become a little dull, and nothing, you do it, but man, it takes a lot of work, and it takes, it seems like serving God is difficult. And you know why it's difficult? Because you have no one there to sharpen you, to encourage you along the way. So we need to sharpen one another. The next thing is, is that you get to spend time in prayer with one another. You know, they devoted themselves. Again, you know, I, I, I want to keep going into this with intense effort. They persisted. They persisted in prayer. They persisted in prayer. And, and when they came together, they devoted themselves to prayer. Again, this was, this was not about the individual. And, you know, sometimes, again, in our Western mindset, we individualize Scripture sometimes. And that's okay. That's okay. But in the real text... They were, they were praying together because not only were they spending time together, they were actually spending their life with one another. They weren't just driving into their driveway, closing the door, and just sheltering themselves until Sunday morning came. Okay, they were spending time together. They had everything in common. And, and so when it came to their prayer time, they, they really prayed together. They were praying by themselves, but they were praying together. And, and I want to show you this in a text. Romans 12, 12 says this, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. You know, when we look at that verse, I go, yes, I need to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And I can individualize that verse, but when you look at the context, which is really Romans 12, 3 through 16, Paul is talking to the church not just to them individually. Again, we got to pull it and put it back into the culture. We got to put it back into the culture. And I, and I love to pray with other people. I love to pray with other people because not only am I encouraged when, when others pray, but I seem to be able to pray with a lot more faith when I'm praying for someone else. You know, sometimes, and I might be the only person here, but I'm going to just confess it right now. Sometimes I pray, and I don't really feel like I deserve God to answer that prayer. Does anybody ever pray? feel that way? You pray, and you go, okay, God, you know, you can answer it. Uh, you know, it may happen. But man, when someone says, Bill, can, can, can you pray for me? Or you're in a small group, and you're praying, and you're just, you're praying with everything. You're like, man, God, you could build a house right now for this person. I have that much faith. They could go home, and their house could be totally rebuilt. That's the faith I have for this person in their circumstance. 
And then the great thing is, is that that person has just as much faith in my circumstances. They get to lift me up. They get to encourage me. And then what's fantastic about it is that you get to say, yay, God, when, when, when their prayers are answered, just like when your prayers are answered. You get to be continually encouraged by what God is doing in the body of Christ. But the only way you can be encouraged by that is if you're part of it. If you're part of this community of believers and you're, and you're praying with one another and you get to see what God is doing. And I think it's so exciting. I, I think back, you know, over the years and, and some of the things that have been journaled down in small groups of prayers people asked for. And let me tell you that sometimes those prayers didn't get answered by the time the next group started. You know, sometimes that prayer, I remember a prayer that was put in a journal that we prayed for well over a year for an opportunity for somebody. But can I tell you that person, you know, this was several years ago, and that person is still doing what they believe they were called to do. God fulfilled that prayer. God answered that prayer. But doesn't mean that it's not going to take some time. But, but when I pray and I look at this, I can be patient in affliction because I have other people holding me up in prayer. I can be faithful in prayer. I can be joyful in hope because I have hope because I'm hearing all the great things God's doing in other people's lives. And I know that I have that same opportunity. But you only get that opportunity if you're spending it in community with one another. You get to be encouraged by the testimonies. It's easy to be faithful in prayer when you get to pray with those around you and see God at work. You know, which really leads me to my, my next point this morning. You get, you get to spend time helping others, helping one another. It says that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You know, we, we have an opportunity here at Cornerstone that we, we get to give. We, we get the opportunity to see a lot of lives change from, a, from, a, from the avenue of our storehouse and our Christmas extravaganza. And we help a lot of people here when it comes to other needs that they have financially. But I want to draw you to 1 Corinthians twelve twenty one through 27 because I want to bring another point in this when it comes to um, helping one another. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty one through 27, up on the screen here, it says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together. He's put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You know, when, when I was studying for this, you know, and I, I came across this verse, you know, one of the things that I believe 
Holy Spirit was wanting to speak to some of you today, it might just be one of you, but it could be many of you, is to let you know that you are significant. You are significant. You know, there's, we are the body of Christ, and when, when you are not part of the body of Christ, we cannot function and be effective. You know, sometimes we, we get into our own little world, and this is, we get into our own little world because we're not in community with one another. But what happens is that we, we allow the enemy to really just deceive us and lie to us and convince us that we're not significant. And what happens is that you begin to draw back. But what this verse was really saying is that, you know, there are those people that, you know, that have opportunities that are, you know, kind of in the front lines of what that seem to be more important, but they're not. We're all equal here. You know, we're all equal. And can I tell you that when you think of your physical body, the things that are most important are usually covered you know, when I think of, like, things that are important to my body, it's, it's good to have a heart. I'm glad it's not uncovered today. You know what I'm saying? But it functions very well, and I need that heart in order to have life. You know, I need to have a liver in my body in order to function, you know, all the things that a liver does. And I'm not even going to try to be scientific on that one. But, but the liver does something, and it's important, Okay. It's important to our bodies, but I'm glad it's not exposed, but, but it functions. And if it wasn't for that liver, we wouldn't be able to function and be healthy. You know, I mean, there's other parts of the body that are, that are covered, your stomach, you know. Now, some of us, we, our stomachs are, you know, do show, you know, but, but for some of us, our stomachs don't. But, but the idea is that we are, we sometimes think that the body, if we're not being exposed that were not important. But you're significant. You're significant. And, and, and God has uniquely shaped you to do what he's called you to do. You know, I, I think of the acronym, and we don't use it here at Cornerstone, but years ago, I, I would use it as that our shape determines our ministry. And, and that acronym is the S is our spiritual gifts. God has gifted each and every one of us with a certain gift mix. He's given us a heart or a passion for some area of ministry. It may be our children. It may be our, you know, greeting people at the door. It may be on the worship team. It may be in the cafe. It may be in the middle school. It may be in the youth. It may be in our storehouse. It may be, you know, missions. But God has given you a passion for something, and you need to follow that passion. You know, God's given you abilities, and a lot of our abilities we, we use in the marketplace, we use in our jobs every day, but God gave us those abilities also to be useful in the body of Christ and building one another up. He's given us a personality so that, so, and I know sometimes we don't feel like we have one, and some people think you don't, but you have a personality, you know? And God wants you to know that he gave you that unique personality for a purpose, and then he's given us, I think, is one of the greatest things that he gives us. He gives us experiences. You know, good experiences, but even tragedies in our lives. And can I tell you that sometimes in our life we've experienced some great tragedies. And we look and we say, man, God, why am I going through this? And at the time you don't feel like that tragedy is going to help you 
on this journey, but man, it's going to help somebody. You know, you're going to be able to be sympathetic to someone when, when they're going through a similar circumstance. So God has uniquely shaped you and designed you for a purpose. And you are a significant part of the body of Christ. And if you call Cornerstone your home, you're a significant part of the local body of Cornerstone Church. And we need you. You are a needed part for our body to function properly. So our last point this morning is that you have the opportunity to see others come to know him. You know, day by day, they saw people come to Christ. You know, 3,000 people, and then every day, we, they were seeing people come to know him. And I believe people coming to know Christ is really a byproduct of a healthy community and how people see him. And let me explain this with an illustration. But one of the things I want to let you know is that I, I want to preface this illustration and let you know that it doesn't necessarily mean that, that I'm a believer when it comes to this team, but I want to give you the illustration to help you understand how community can help change lives. You know, last August, there, there was a baseball, a local baseball team, and uh, the Royals, I'll just say that. It was the Royals, and I thought about wearing my White Sox jersey today, but anyways, yeah, I know, I know. But, but what happened was is that, that, you know, some excitement happened. You know, it, it's been a long time. It's like the 400 silent years in the Bible. Um, but, uh, but the Royals began to win, and they began to win big, and, and it changed a community. It really changed the, the community. And I, I was even thinking about it in the first service that, that we, even, we even canceled a series that was going on on Wednesday night because we knew the Royals were in the playoffs last fall. We're like, we're going to put it off another week. They'll probably end up losing. But they ended up winning, and then we ended up keeping the series going. But, but the idea was that, they, that the Royals changed uh, you know, the whole baseball season changed in Kansas City. I remember driving down the street with my wife one day, and, and we had the opportunity to be in Chicago when, when the White Sox um, played in the World Series. Um, that's all I'll say there. But, uh, but when the White Sox played the World Series, and my wife said to me, she said, you know, I don't ever remember this happening. You know, I don't remember this, the community being so excited. And, and I, said to, I said to my wife, I was like, you know, because of it's such a small area, a small market team that, that everything really changes. It changed the scope, not only here locally, but it changed. There's Royal fans probably all over America today because of where they went last year. You know, there's Royal fans that people have been impacted. People that, that were Royals fans years ago that only maybe watched the Royals once or twice a year because they got free tickets. You know, those people became Royals fans again. They, they started going to the games all the time. And now tickets are really expensive, you know. And so what happened was is that the same thing is true when it comes to the church. Think about it. You know, when we are, when we are at our peak and we are serving and we are being the body of Christ. And we are, we are persistent in devoting ourselves to prayer 
and devoting ourselves to the word and devoting ourselves to fellowship and devoting ourselves to helping one another. You know what happens? People see that. And it, and it begins to just kind of ignite things around you. And what happens is those people that only came to church a couple times a year, you know, the Christmas and Easter people, you know, what happens is that they begin to come more consistent because they're drawn to something because God's doing something. And that's what happens when we're in community with one another. People are drawn to that. You know, and there's a boldness that comes with that. There's a confidence that comes with that when you're in the workplace, when you're at the store, when you're in the neighborhood. There's a confidence that comes because you have something that you want to give to other people. You know, now not everybody converts. You know, I'm not a Royals fan. You know, but some people will not convert to to Christ. But the idea here is that we have the opportunity to change the world around us. And it's greater than any baseball team. It's greater than uh, anything significant. But when you think of, just think of the energy that the Royals have caused in this last year. And think of how the church could expand if that much excitement was going on around us. We have a huge responsibility as the local church. And each one of us have to do our part. So as we close this morning, you know, the worship team is going to come and, and lead us in song. But I just want to let you know that you may be sitting here thinking, I don't need anyone. I'm just fine on my own. And can I tell you something? You may not feel the need to be with anyone, but we need you. We need you as the body of Christ. You have something to give from your life that can help others on their journey. The enemy wants you to try to do it on your own because he knows that if he can convince you that you are okay on your own, then it'll be easier for you to stumble and fall. And like Ecclesiastes says, that if no one's around to help you pick you up when you fall down. We need people in our lives to share the word with, to pray with, to hang out together with, to share life together to help when help is needed. And when we are able to function in community together, then we walk with a confidence that draws people to Christ. And as I said in the beginning, that the first century church was a different time, a different culture, a different community. And community was easier during that time and place. In this century, we need to schedule community on our calendar, in our lives. And we need to find opportunities to meet others. And this morning, if I just want to encourage you that in your bulletin this morning, there's, a, there's an insert. And it just talks about that if you want to get connected in a small group, you know, to, to fill this out and place it in there. And we're going to help you try to get connected with other people today. You know, at the bottom, it talks about, do you have a desire to lead a small group in the future? You know, like we talked, like I talked about a few moments ago, God has uniquely shaped you. And your shape determines your ministry and God might you might have a passion just to have people in your home to share life together and and I want to know that I want to talk to you about that if you have an interest like that you know and for some of you maybe you look at all the small groups and it just doesn't fit your time or your schedule and I want to tell you that there's a lot of other opportunities out there for you there's there's celebrate recovery that happens every Tuesday we all have habits hurts and hang-ups 
that can be worked on. And, and that happens in small group. You know, you also have um, love after marriage. What, a, what an impact that Lamb has had on our church this last, these last couple years. But we have the opportunity, you can have the opportunity to share life with other people that are going through marriage. And I want to encourage you to do that. You know, you might even be in the 50 plus age group. I'm not yet, but I hear they do some really fun and exciting things in the 50 plus. You know, I don't think they just play cards and checkers, you know. But, uh, but they, do, they do some fun things, I hear. So you can get involved in that, you know, to have some community with one another. I also want to tell you that, you know, one of the, the greatest things about coming to Cornerstone is that every weekend that when you have people that are serving in children's ministry or in the ushers or the worship team, you know, that they share life with one another. You get free breakfast downstairs if you serve in children's ministry. I mean, they pray with one another. They share life together. And so that's a great way to just get connected and be in community with one another. So I just want to encourage you today to do that. So as we close, the worship team is going to lead us in a song. And it's a song that says, To our God we lift up one voice. You know, and I want to encourage you right now to stand as we sing. And, and I want you, as this song is being sung, as you're singing the song, I want that to be your declaration this morning. That you're committed. You're committed to ser- being part of the body of Christ. And functioning the way God's called you to function. And, and knowing that you're significant today. So as our worship team leads us, uh, let's just uh, lift our voice together in song. To our God we lift up one voice. Hallelujah. Father, that is our declaration today. As we lift up one voice as one church, as one body of believers. And I just pray, Father, that as as your Holy Spirit spoke into people's hearts today, we just pray, Father, that you'd seal that work in their hearts today. Father, may they, they understand and recognize their significance in you and that, that you have shaped them to help not only themselves, but you've shaped them for this journey to help one another. And I just pray, Father, that, that, that they would receive from you today and receive from you this week and understand how much you care for them and how much you have put in them to share with others. We just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Welcome, Pastor Sean. Amen. Let's give God praise. Amen. Good word. Thanks, Bill. Amen. Want to be seated.